in the grand tradition of our blockbuster events, Crisis Till Death and Death Till Wedding, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era for the infamous Electric Superman saga, Grant Morrison's legendary JLA, and Superman's TV depictions on the animated series and Lois and Clark. This is Electric Till One Million, a new eight-part epic covering 1997 through 1999. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Electric to One Million, Part 5. And joining me to discuss Superman Red, Superman Blue, the Millennium Giants, and the first of two major Dominus arcs is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, returning guest, Tyler Patrick. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to talk Electric Superman because it's just a fascinating, fascinating time, fascinating topic to just tackle. And I've I've enjoyed the uh, the released podcast that you have done at this point on the Electric Superman. We even a couple episodes ago we even plugged your first Electric uh, Superman episode quite heavily because we did a summary of electric superman as we were kind of starting to lead into with the whole jonathan kent in the current comics and so we were like you know what we're not going to go into detail about electric superman just go listen to anthony's show you'll get all you need well thank you i appreciate that for those who are not watching us for those who are listening to the audio only version i just want to say you really came correct to this, right? You're wearing your <laughs> red Krypton Report sweatshirt and your blue Krypton yep. Report hat. So you have Superman red and blue represented, and I love it. Yes. You know, it's it's funny when you asked me to do this with you, I was like, yeah, duh. This, Yeah, let's do this. Um, for anybody who listens to our show, it's like my our cover art even is an homage to the Superman red and Superman blue. And uh, it's kind of like the thing we have with James, my co-host, being the Superman Red. And for those who are watching the video, here's one of our uh, Krypton Report stickers. You can see here. Where is it? Camera. Very nice. Blech. There you go. Where you can Yeah. Why is why my camera off? Uh, everything's backwards. You see me in blue and James in red. So, yeah, that's why I was, like, representing both colors here. No, I love it. I'm, I'm here in my drab gray Daily Planet hoodie, but... You've, you've got both sides covered. So I appreciate the shout out and I'm glad you've enjoyed the coverage we've done on the Electric Superman saga. So this is actually the first episode since those Electric Superman installments where we're back into the core triangle era. Because after we did two episodes on the quote unquote regular Electric Superman, then we went into Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Grant Morrison's JLA, and then we even delved into the DC animated universe. So now we're back here to finish out the Electric Superman era with, and it breaks my heart to say this, I don't like to be negative, I don't like to dump on stuff, but this, for me, this reading project was, sad to say, the low point of my Triangle era reading. And it matched the experience that I had as an 11-year-old kid back in the late 90s. I, I thought that with the passage of time and all the work that I've been doing on the podcast now, I, I would come at it with different eyes, a different perspective. And I would find something to really latch on to and be like, oh, this is great. I, I missed this the first time around, but no, it was just as much of a slog this time for me. It's, it's weird because I feel like it starts, it starts interesting. I think the first couple issues of just the blue and red error are very fascinating. 
But then all of a sudden they tried to do like, it's so weird following it on the app because I feel like I'm following one storyline. It's like, you know, and then all of a sudden, like I realized, Oh, I missed a couple of issues because it would like say like the next in, but it wasn't following um, under the storyline tab. I don't know. It was just weird. It would take me to like the next issue of that book instead of the next issue in the storyline because you're bouncing between the multiple titles. Yes. So if you're in, I, I read on the app as well. And yes, they do. I have to give them credit. They do have their triangle era pages or storylines, I guess they call them. Uh, but yeah, when you're done with one issue, the next one that it prompts you to is the next one in that series. So like the next issue of Adventures of Superman, not the next triangle era number. But speaking of yeah. issue numbers, let me lay out for folks what we covered here. This was this was a sizable reading project. This was like a 35-ish uh, reading project. So I thank you. I'll say it at the top. I'll say it again at the end. I thank you for coming along for this ride. Oh, and I think I, I think I got them all in. I think I do. I might have missed some because like I said, I was reading on the app and then I was reading along and then I noticed, wait, something's not adding up. So I went back. So I think I got them all in. If I missed any, I think we can figure it out. And just going back to what you were saying a moment ago, that was kind of the primary reason I invited you for this episode. I mean, I would have roped you into one of these because I love having you on and I always enjoy talking to you. But it's the fact that you begin all of your episodes, as you said, by introducing yourself as the Superman of blue and your co-host as the Superman of red. You got your Superman red, Superman blue action figures. So I knew this was something that you had at least some attachment to. So uh, I'm excited to compare notes. So this is what we read. And this is in the show notes as well, but I'll I'll lay it all uh, out right now. Action Comics 742 to 748 by Stuart Immonen. Adventures of Superman 555 through 562. Written by Carl Kiesel. Jerry Ordway would later come back and and, uh, share writing duties. Drawn by Tom Grummet. Superman 132 to 139. All written by Dan Juergens. Drawn uh, initially by Ron Friends and then later by Paul Ryan. Superman the Man of Steel 77 to 83 by Louis Simonson, John Bogdanov. And Superman, The Man of Tomorrow, issues 10 and 11, both drawn by Paul Ryan. 10 was written by Roger Stern, his last issue 11, written by Louis Simonson, who would continue on with that quarterly title until the final one, which was guest written by J.M. DeMatteis and tied into Day of Judgment. But that's for next episode. We also had three one-shots, Superman Red, Superman Blue, Superman Forever, and Superman Save the Planet. Now, well, I'll just get this out of the way right at the top. I'll do my rant right here. Keep it quick. How on earth are these one-shots not on this effing app, especially, especially Superman Forever, one of the most iconic covers by Alex Ross. And this was to tie into the 60th anniversary of Superman in 1998. It boggles my mind. (laughs) And look, I found them, and I wish I didn't have to resort to the means that I did. I would have happily read them on the app. Ah, all right, I'm done. Oh, no, I agree. I mean, there's a reason why we decided to pay for Ultra. You know, we we have the, you know, supposed to be the more experienced um, platform. And, you know, like what's funny is I have this. And this is one of those, um, the only books I ever actually read when they were out at the time of the Electric Error was this one. And I have the other one, and now all of a sudden the issue is escaping me. But you talked about it on one of your previous. It's kind of it's the it's the issue that kind of sums up everything. Like it's that it feels like a one shot, but it kind of tells like the the story. So if you had not been reading Superman, it was kind of his whole story of where he has up to his electric powers, and that was the first 
issue I had read with Electric Superman, and I think it came it with an action figure. So I think it was a, a comic book that was with an action figure. I I remember, and then we found this. When I say we, me and my brother, um, like on a spinner rack when my dad was getting his uniform stuff that he used to do, like on Saturdays. And it was 3D cover and everything, and we picked it up, and it was like this red and blue, and it was weird, but it was like okay. And those are the only two issues I had and had read of Electric till years later. Oh, fascinating! But so you had that early connection point to this story and this era. Did that? Did that cultivate a certain sense of attachment or affinity for this? You know, the the affinity came from just the idea of, I think it's just my love of duality in characters. Like, like um, you know, today, my favorite Batman villain is Two-Face, okay? For example, I have a repl- authentic replica coin from the Dark Knight that I carry in my pocket with me. Um, today, Jania found for me, we found a Funko Pop store that's not far from the house, and we walked in. And they had the Two-Faced Batman Forever Funko, and she got it for me. And it's just that, you know, some of my favorite characters are, you know, that character that has the tool personality. And I think for Superman, the idea you see, and we'll get into it more, like what, how blue is certain aspects of his personality while red is also, I think, and we'll we'll touch on this just a little bit because I know it's not triangle error. Origin of the red and blue deep back uh, older issue, and you had mentioned it before, where uh, it was like Superman Red ended up marrying like Lana Lang and living a life while Superman Blue married Lois, and then the red and blue energies would come to play heavily at the death of Superman of the New Fifty Two into the Rebirth Reborn era. So this. This version makes the most sense as far as energy. Um, but I just, I like this kind of idea. You know, it was like me and my brother, um, we had actually bought these. I, we found them on eBay and just for fun, we had, it was a really cheap deal. So, you know, we both had one and then, uh, so just like the, the concept was always kind of neat of just like, there's two Superman and I always just thought it was neat. So when James came on as co-host and we were trying to, we were kind of figuring our way and kind of this pitch, you know, it's like, instead of sitting there saying like, well, I'm your host Clark, or this is Superman or something. We kind of did the red and blue thing, just kind of making it like we're similar because, because we joked a lot about how a lot of times we would read and we, we would agree on stuff, you know, like sometimes you get co-hosts like our, when our buddy Brian guests ours, he's always got like this opposite viewpoint than we do. But we found that James and I were like in sync a lot. So we thought, you know, the red and the blue, kind of how we're split, it would just be kind of this fun thing. And, um, well, there you, there you have it. And the words of Ian, Ian Malcolm, like, there, there it is. Gotcha. Yeah, so you mentioned the Silver Age inspiration for this, Superman 162. And we have mentioned this on the show before, and we talked about it a fair bit when we did our Superman in the Silver Age episode a while back. Uh, but I was definitely thinking about it as I was going through this reading project. For anyone who's not familiar, uh, it's 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 well worth revisiting or, or visiting for the first time. But essentially, in that Silver Age issue, the Kandorians take Superman to task for failing to restore the city. 
And so he subjects himself to this experiment to increase his intelligence. And the end result is that it splits him in two. And then Superman Red and Superman Blue are able to accomplish all these amazing things. They restore Kandor to its proper size. They recreate Krypton. They create this, and I think the ethical implications are, are a little bit uh, dubious here, but they create this, you know, anti-evil ray that basically, for lack of a better term, like brainwashes or reprograms all of the criminals on Earth uh, and 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 we're, we're done away with crime and all of that. And to your point, yeah, one of them marries Lana and lives on Earth and one of them marries uh, Lois and relocates to New Krypton. And it's an imaginary story and, you know, functions as essentially the final Superman story, uh, you know, in that imaginary context. And I thought it worked great there. I thought that was yeah. a beautiful use of the concept of splitting them. And I can appreciate for the creators of the 90s triangle era, especially for those who, you know, maybe grown up reading that story, had some affinity, some affection for it, wanting to homage that in some way, totally get it. And I think that maybe if it had been confined to the Superman Red, Superman Blue one shot, if it had been kind of a done in one sort of thing where he split and then he's maybe rejoined by the end of it, I think it could have been a nice little throwback. But this was really an instance where I felt the books faltered. I know the electric era generally tends to get criticism. I feel like we've been fairly generous to it in the episodes that we've done and have kind of looked at, look, this is what they were trying to do. They were trying to challenge the character in a new way. I don't think that they were necessarily trying to be quote unquote gimmicky. Here though, I really feel like, and and you know, I'm not laying the blame at the feet of any one person. It's a group effort. All the teams working together. I know they worked hard, all of that. But I really feel like in this stretch here, from Superman Red, Superman Blue, through Millennium Giants. And it's about a 16-issue stretch here. It's not quick. I really feel like they lost their way. I felt like they just lost sight of what, what they were trying to do. And this was, like I said, far and away the roughest stretch. The second half of our reading, I enjoyed a lot more, and we'll get to that. But that initial batch was tough. It was real tough. I What I find interesting is you start this electric Superman and like you've covered, it only lasted like a little over a year, right? Two years at the most. I can't remember the... Uh, a but year. It wasn't as a long. Year. Okay. And that's what I was thinking. So it's like halfway through your year, you're already at a point where like, this isn't working. We have to do something else. What can we throw at it now and change it up again? And if it had been like a six-issue arc, because I, I do like the one-shot's pretty cool. And then the issue that follows the one-shot where, you know, you have the two of them not knowing about each other doing these things and they kind of interact with Perry. They kind of interact with Lois. And then at the end, they come into each other. I think that's probably my favorite. And then the next issue after that. So like the first couple of issues, if that had been it and been like a six issue, four issue kind of little series. Awesome. But then they start stretching it out and we get into the giant thing and then. Just the way that Superman Blue came into existence, the way it goes out, is even more like baffling. And, and we'll and we'll get there in our discussion, you know. Um, but I, I don't understand where the desire was for this, because I mean I can understand if you were trying to find a way once again to what can we do new with Superman, what can we do to show difference in his character, or what what if he got ripped into two people. You know, and one was this and one was that. Okay. But that's to me would be something like a year or two years after you do Electric Superman, not during that first initial phase. <laughs> phase, get it? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, 
But do you do you mind if I just kind of share some thoughts just on the electric in general? Go for as it. As we get started, go for it. Because um, I've listened to your episodes and I, you know, I've had my thoughts. And I said this to you a long time ago. The, the concept of the electric Superman for me, I think, would have been more interesting had it happened shortly after the death and rebirth. Like if he had come back from the death and then after he had died and everything and he was brought back, something was wrong or something had happened and altered him. And then he started getting these electric powers. I think would have worked better for me because it's this, it's, it would be almost part, it almost been like a, a, the next chapter of the rebirth of like, Oh no, he died. He returned, but he's different. Um, uh, I think would have had a bigger impact. Uh, the other thing about it is it kind of like in my mind, he's electric. Superman doesn't feel like Superman. He feels almost like he is the fifth reign of the Superman. You know, you have cyborg steel Superboy, And then this guy, um, cause he feels tied into the super family, but it doesn't feel like that Superman to me. Like, it, it's just weird. Like, it's like, I like it. But then I don't like it. Um, it always felt kind of like it's this other like energy because I just feel like electrical powers is generic. It's like, what do you get when you, you're trying to redefine Superman, but he's not really Superman anymore. He's electric man. You know, it's like you, you mixed Black Adam, Captain Adam, Livewire, and rolled it into one. And now you're giving us this new character. And that, that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like it's Clark. And, um, you know, because the concept of him being a man with superpowers. Well, he's no longer a man with superpowers. He has to. And there's even a, uh, a joke they make where uh, in the final uh, issues, he's using like a force field. And he says Shazam, just joking. And he says, am I going to get you know in trouble for copyright? Because that's what it feels like. He has to do something which is the phasing to turn into his powerful self. So he's no longer always a man with superpowers. And, you know, that just, it always felt like a little bit of a disconnect that this is Superman. This is Clark for me. Um, Because it just, it divided that man. And I have a question for you. I've been thinking about, and I was going to type it to you one time, but I decided not to. I thought we'd wait was do you think these electric powers make him less effective as Superman? Oh, interesting. I mean, not necessarily because he continues to find new ways to accomplish his objectives. And I talked about this in a prior episode, a group tedious where he was constantly explaining what he was doing, but he was getting there in some way, shape or form. So I don't know. I mean, that's tough to say because the, by design, right? The stories then kind of sh- are shaped around these new powers that he has. So he has, you know, he's presented with the challenges that his powers are ultimately suited for in these stories that we get. So, so I don't know. Well, how do you feel? I feel it, it. My thought is it makes him less because, you know, before he had a super hearing, he was attuned to things. Now he's just a person until he decides to phase. And even then, like he has to kind of get away from people to face, you know, before he could be sitting there and like his hearing pick up something and be like, Hey, what's that over there and take off. But now he's got to find a way to shift and turn into electricity. And 
I just feel like, you know, the fact that he can be hurt as Clark as makes him less effective as Superman. You know, once again, it, it feels like a different hero more than it does Superman. It feels like one of those other heroes I was talking about. So there's always this kind of um, distance in it. So I, I feel like, you know, having his superhero, super hearing, and like there's comics where it talks about his hearing be attuned to his mother, yeah, Lois, you know, and one of my favorite uh, comic covers is Green Arrow, Oliver holding Connor, who was shot, and he's just yelling Clark. Yes. And, you know, and, you know, Superman picks up on it and takes off and you lose all that with electric Superman. And well, I'll hit on some more as we get into it because there's a couple beats down the line that that kind of comes up. But. No, it's great getting your thoughts on all of that. It's interesting, this this notion of what if this had happened after the death and rain. And on the one hand, I love the way that story played out and it had already gone on. It was quite the saga. So I don't know if adding the powers there would have been a misstep. However, it would have flowed naturally, right? That to your point, he had this death and rebirth and he's coming back different. And it also, one of the things that we've been frustrated by in these episodes, and I think, you know, uh, audience members and fans of the Superman comics can identify with is just how nebulous it was exactly how he got these energy powers. I think a lot of right. people, because I've heard from a couple of other people since that episode who I think just kind of established their headcanon of, well, when he was thrown in the sun in power struggle, that changed him or something like that. And I love that. I, I wish that had been the nice, clean, clear, definitive explanation we were given. It, it wasn't. And what like we a, got was like still- overloaded battery. Exactly. But I think doing it maybe after the death and, and return, and, and that would have at least helped that problem. I will say, I- I didn't necessarily feel like we lost sight of Clark when he was electric, but I really felt that we lost sight of Clark when he split into red and blue. And that was probably the biggest, one of the biggest problems I had with that stretch there when he was split. I just felt like we just lost the character. But one thing that I want to share, while we're talking about electric Superman generally, I want to share something that was sent in by one of our audience members, shout out to Tim. And Tyler, you'll appreciate this because I know you're a fan of creating your headcanon, right? Heck yeah, I am. I have to. And so in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about, you know, what if Bizarro had come into play during this? If he had become electric as well, or, or if, you know, he had kind of taken the place of Scorn. Or, I, it's funny. It's only been a little while since we did those episodes. I forget exactly what, what was said, but we talked about this idea of Bizarro. And so uh, what Tim said is, uh, imagine Bizarro transmuta- transmuted into electric form by the same nebulous process that altered Superman. And then Bizarro infuriated that he am not perfect, imperfect duplicate of Superman in his sparky new form, finds a way to reverse the polarity. Zap, the magic happens. Bizarro, reversed, becomes a perfect electric superbeing, kind, calm, patient, and even more intelligent than the Man of Steel himself. For whatever reason, I imagine him crackling with purple energy. He, unlike Professor Hamilton, fully understands why the two of them went electric and how to undo the process, even though it means he will revert to his backwards, clumsy super self. Before triggering the change, Electric Bizarro speaks to Superman one last time, and his message, like that of a dementia patient experiencing a moment of clarity, is impossibly serene and compassionate. He asks Superman to understand and remember that no matter how harmful or aggravating his future actions might be, they always spring from a desire to help. It's just that they come out the wrong way. He puts his hand on the Man of Steel's shoulder, smiles one last time, 
and thanks Superman, his very best friend, for being the only person who's ever tried to understand him. Electric Bizarro flips a switch, and just like that, both hero and misunderstood villain return to what they once were. Bizarro cackles gleefully as he soars off to create havoc elsewhere, and Superman, watching him go and relieved to be back to normal, finds himself full of wonder and gratitude for the gift of his super life, returned to him by one of the most unlikely of friends. Now that would have been an amazing book, you know, cause I was, I was sitting there thinking about the idea of like Superman being positively charged, bizarre, like this negative charge. And then when they come, they came together, it fixed itself. I like that. I really like this notion of this moment of clarity and yes. sacrifice from Bizarro and this ability to have this conversation of like, look, when I do these things, you know, I'm just trying to help. Oh, there's, there's something really beautiful. So thank you, Tim, for sending that in. And I figured yeah, you would appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome, that. Tim. Yeah. That, that is really great. I mean, and I'm with everybody about how he got these powers. It was just kind of like, it really was never really there. Um, I don't know if you've read the issue with the John Kent thing about what's happening, at least in this way they're doing it so far there seems to be there's the this x factor with the lazarus reigns that's causing change so you can kind of just be like okay it's kind of like the kryptonite on smallville it does whatever you need it to do right (laughs) um so at least there i feel like okay i have some sort of reason for why this is happening uh i also feel like if you were going to do electric with any character connor might have been the one to do it with because he was, you know, genetically manipulated. So you could be like, oh, there was an alter in the genes and he's now producing electricity. But well, so it's funny as we're talking about how we didn't have this clarity really about how Superman got the electric powers. It is crystal clear how he becomes split into red and blue in that one shot we're talking about. What's funny to me is that if like gun to my head before I did this reread, if you had been like, how did he split into red and blue? I would not have been able to tell you. And again, I owned that issue. I I read it as a kid. I'm sure I read it multiple times. I had no memory. It comes down to this villain team up between toy man and cyborg. And they trap Superman in this energy containment sphere. And cyborg's plot is to siphon off Superman's energy splitting the energy and storing it in hundreds of these receptacles that will then be beamed across the galaxy. So he'll just be split. Yeah. Tyler's holding it up uh, on camera for those who are watching. And so Superman's will to save Lois, who's been taken by toy man and to stop cyborg, his will to do these two things is so strong that he's able to pull himself back together, but he's not one. Now he's two. Now we have two electrical energy beings, one red, one blue. To your point earlier, we'll come to see in subsequent issues how their personalities differ. Superman red is more more brash, more quippy, more hot-headed. He calls Lois sweet cheeks. He speaks in contractions a lot. Whereas Superman blue is more cautious, more reserved, maybe too reserved, maybe even a little bland. In fact, Perry White calls out Superman blue Clark for, actually calls out both of them for their writing. Uh, I love that. I love that part because he says, uh, it seemed a little different. I'll just take, I'll take the two, put them together and rewrite it. Yes. You know, is what he says to him. So I think over the course of the issues, they they do certainly get at this idea that they are different. Neither one is exactly what they need to be right. And all of that. But in, in any event, that's how this happens. 
What did you think of this cyborg toy man team up? Yeah, you got your 3D glasses there as well. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, I. It's weird because the issue, for the most part, like you're already three fourths of the way through the issue before the split even happens. There's a lot of fluff in it. And don't even get me started with the whole scorn thing. I know you've done that in multiple discussions already. I'm just saying I'm not a fan. I think it detracts the story. It falls into that same thing that you've said about there being too many extra characters going on. You're trying to give time to just want to throw that out there because scorn is present in this issue. Um, the toy man cyborg things, I think is kind of neat. Um, you know, cyborg Superman's always, once again, that ties back to the reign of the Superman. And I just find that it kind of works. It's kind of a neat little pairing. Um, but I like the idea, once again, him being energy. What does that mean for energy? So he wants to siphon off his power and split him up. That makes sense if he's an energy being. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Yeah, I have to say... On a positive note, one thing that I thought was hilarious is when Cyborg and Toy Man team up and Toy Man is talking about, you know, hearing his mother's voice in his head and Cyborg Superman, of all people, is basically like, this guy's nuts. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) I like that. Otherwise, I, I, I thought this team up was ridiculous. I, even though... I love the death of Superman and the rain and I love the character of cyborg Superman, as I've said, and as I continue to find, as I do my reread, it's the law of diminishing returns with cyborg. And I feel like we're at this point now where like, he just like keeps popping up. It's almost like a Mixius Pitalik sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's been a few months. Let's throw cyborg in. It's like teaming up with toy man. I, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's again, losing sight of the core of the character and this, the way this transpires, we had talked in a previous episode about the issue where, cyborg inexplicably to me and maybe others thought it made sense was posing as ashbury's high school teacher and he just wanted to be a teacher yeah Uh, that made no 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 like that was just so awkward but at the end yeah but at the end of that he you know is able to transfer his consciousness into a cyborg you know statue or something and then uh toy man posing as santa claus right comes around collecting toys for you know for a toy drive for the holidays and Ashbury kind of hands him a bunch of stuff, including this little statuette, which unbeknownst to all of them contains the consciousness of Cyborg. And then he's able to, you know, sort of merge with the rest of the toys and uh, reconstitute himself. And then they decide to have this team up here. So uh, there's, the, 
yeah, you have the, the <laughs> yeah, the image there that you're holding up uh, on the screen. Yeah, for anyone who has it or is watching or remembers, it's a uh, you know, I guess somewhat of a comical sight. And and again, yeah, it, I think it, it just kind of like shows how far the character has fallen, I suppose, <laughs> from from Reign of the Superman. It 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 is interesting, just. Like you said, the law of diminishing returns, you have these great characters, but you know, you have electric Superman here fighting cyborg and it's just weird because you look at it and cyborg Superman was such a crazy bad villain, but then it's like, he served his purpose and he's done. And now it's like, yeah. And now it's like, you feel bad for the guys. Like he just wants to be, he just wants to teach. You know, it would have been different, I think, if you had done a story where it was kind of almost, I don't want to say the redemption of, but it's like Hank Henshaw had officially returned as Hank Henshaw, and he wanted to find a way to heal and be himself again. And, you know, going into, we're talking about the fact that he is energy. And, you know, all living beings and creatures give off energy. And the fact that his Superman's consciousness had two distinctive thoughts, you know, and the fact that while being nothing more than energy, he split into two. It makes sense for this story compared to, you know, where he's shot by a ray gun or something. Um, there's a, there's an episode of justice league action where they explore the red and blue concept where the characters all like there's get split it starts with Superman. Then we get red and blue, uh, wonder woman, red and blue, Lex Luthor and so on. Um, I lost my train of thought gotcha. here. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. So here, a couple of, a couple of things. One, just as far as the duration of all of this, if, again, if you had asked me before this reread, oh, how long is that red and blue stretch before Millennium Giants? I probably would have been like, oh, it's like four or five months. It's not, it's, it's nine, it's nine issues from the one shot where they split until right before Millennium Giants, nine issues, two months and change. That's it. It, it, I guess as a kid reading it, and honestly, even rereading it now, it felt like it. And then we have six issues of the core Millennium Giant storyline. So again, we're talking 15 issues of Red and Blue and Millennium Giants. Well, 16 if you throw in Superman Forever, which wraps everything up. That's four months. Now, it's all relative, right? Because when you look at it on the app, like we did, you know, you see four rows of issues, which... You know, again, I think if they, if the material had been stronger, it would have been, it would have felt a lot faster kind of making your way through, but it, you really felt it. And then again, going back to reading it at the time, and I know I'm not alone because I've been tweeting about this and how I was sort of struggling to get through it. And a lot of people were like, I hit a wall here too with, with this. And that's the thing, four months reading these week. And that's the thing too. It's not like we're talking about a monthly title and I was four months of four issues. No, I mean, this was four months of weekly titles essentially uh, and so it, uh, it, it definitely, it, it definitely dragged on. I felt it as a kid and I felt it, it that way now. Yeah. I hear it. Superman man of tomorrow. Uh, number nine was the one I was telling you about that. Yeah. Where summer. Ma and Pa sort of no, like recap everything. I agree because, you know, for me just looking, having when, you know, we went back and we looked at these issues with the red and blue storyline about uh, a little over a year ago. And I always thought it went on longer. You know, the whole electric thing was one of those things. Like if you would have asked me like when, how long was it? Oh, it lasted 
I don't know, for a while, but you know, looking on the app, you know, I pulled it up and I'll, like you said, you're, you're looking at it and I'm like, okay, I remember that cover. Then all of a sudden it's over. I was like, oh, you know, there's what? Let's see the one, one, two, three, four, five, six, like six issues before it touches the millennium. And I say that just the millennium period, because we have the guards, then the giants. And if it had just been those six issues as the red and blue story, because that's the six issues I liked. Yeah. You know what? I, well, at this, I'm kind of split on this. Oh, pun intended. So on the one hand, uh, one of the things that I did think was cool was how the creative teams played with structure here. So they did a couple of different things. There, there were two issues where one issue focused on Superman blue and then the next issue focused on Superman red. And in each issue, you saw where they crossed paths with their counterpart and you got a little hint as far as what they were up to, right? Superman blue was dealing with that samurai like uh, villain who, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, sort of destroy the humanity and, 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 and elevate animals, animal life. Uh, and then Superman Red was dealing with all of these uh, time-displaced people and, and creatures and things like that. And the structure of that was cool, where you had one issue with one, one with the other, but you got to see, as you were reading each issue, kind of like the connection points. And then they did, I think, three issues where they split the narrative. So the first half of the book showed you Superman Blue, the other half showed you Superman Red. They did that for a few issues. So I really did appreciate that. Did you like that aspect of it? Yeah, I, I I do because, like I said, I like the idea that you could have played with if you had a short kind of short sighted goal in mind. Of you know, they always say like, "What if there was more than one Superman?" Well, now there's two. How does the world deal with that? You know, and how does Superman deal with that when he realizes it's not two Superman, it's me split into two, but I'm not split evenly. I think there's really good story in there. Also with uh what Lois is going through, you know, once she learns that there's two of them in the end, how, and I think in some parts, I think Lois was written a little unjustly of how critical she was of the whole thing as if Clark had decided to be like this, but that put a strain on it because she even says like, neither of you are the man that I married. So it really shows how there was this problem. So I like the idea that we got a chance to know who the blue character is, because in a lot of ways you kind of default thinking that we had been with Superman blue all this time. And then we just got red, but really we didn't, you know, the blue that here is now is not the same as just a, reg a regular electric Superman. So having him kind of do his solo adventures, we see him, uh, how he interacts, how he fights, how he, is as a person. And then we jump over to more of the fiery hot, you know, fists of fury red. And we get to see how it's not really Superman per se It's Clark. It's aspects. So you get to experience the times together with individuals before we get to the realization that they need to come back together. Well, because I, that's a great point, and I think a, an important distinction between this era and that Silver Age story, Superman 162, that we were talking about, because in that story, really, it's like he's doubled, right? And, he, and when he puts the, the two heads together, he can accomplish all of these things, whereas here, it really is one whole that's been split in half, and neither one really is exactly what they need to be. Now, 
This is, I think, fundamentally the biggest problem that I had with this red-blue stretch from these initial issues we're talking about through Millennium Giants. I think it's more than anything else that we've seen in this triangle era, regardless of all these various events that we've seen and, uh, you know, this whole idea of, you know, where they always just chasing the next death of Superman with, you know, death of Clark Kent and trial of Superman and this and that. But I always felt like there was at least the, you know, a core, you know, personal conflict or, or something to mine character wise. And here, this is where, like I said, I feel like they just kind of took their eye off the ball here because I don't think that this version of Superman and Clark Kent at this point in time was really built or designed for this kind of story. I think there's a version of Superman in an in a different era maybe where this kind of story would be really interesting. A Superman who's really kind of torn between two things. Like again, one of the cool things about that Silver Age story is this is a period of time where you know Lois and Lana are both vying for his attention and he's you know he, he can never choose. So it's like, well, one gets to be with the one and the other gets to be with the other. It's like, well, that's great. That's something to explore. You know, here, there was nothing that that really lent itself to that. And to your point, the one thing that I think they could have really sunk their teeth into far more, far more, was the strain that this would put on a new marriage. And I agree with you. I did not like the way Lois was written really for the majority of this, because what it mostly comes down to is her telling the two Superman, like, you guys figure this out. You're sleeping on the couch. And I was just like, man, you know, and I I don't know how deep this would have gotten, especially at this point in time and, and all that. But there's so much more that I feel could have been done there. And it was so superficial. And I feel like that was the one the one area that it's like, oh, you could really do something interesting here. Like you're married to your husband and your husband splits into two. And it just, it didn't, I don't know, they didn't go there in a meaningful way, I felt. I feel like if I could take this, all that this whole, you know, red and blue arc and chop up certain beats and put together, there's a really great story in there. I think they didn't explore enough with the concept where they kind of talk about later, like, okay, how about you just be Clark Kent for today and I'll be Superman and then we'll switch. And Lois is trying to, adjust to this and there maybe could have even been something where there's a consciousness that they share so that even if one of them is with uh, Lois the other one kind of has like those almost like a built-in memory of that of that happening um so in a way it's like um they have the memories of what happened when they were with the other Superman but her experience is different you know because see how she is with just this Clark Rushes with this Clark. So they kind of live separate, but one life. So they're never actually overlapping. So they're never actually seen together. So, you know, Lois might have this day with red Clark while blue is out doing all Superman's things. And then they switch where, you know, she's with blue Clark and red soup is out Superman. And so the two Supermen never, you know, cross paths and never really interact with each other. But Lois is kind of seeing the differences. It's it's there's a lot in there that struggle, you know, that every man has. Like uh, like you know, if you're if you're married, like we are, where it's like work and home. Well, now he has the uh, the ability to do both. He can be with her at all times, and he can be being Superman at all times. I think that's the story I would have preferred to see, and uh, and about a person realizing, just like we have to rationalize in ourselves about. Being both, you know, the the 
the husband, the worker, you know, we throw in the father aspect too, but trying to make all that work as one compared to um, being able to be, do everything, you know, like, excuse me. So I, I really think there's a good story boiled in there, but the execution wasn't. And then they started to throw on this millennium giants thing. And it took the attention off that. Cause I, like I said, I love Superman issue 132. I, to me, 132, and then the 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 book that follows right next behind it in the um, the reading order, which is technically the Adventures of Superman Red, Superman Blue, I think are the two best books in this this whole thing. Because um, that's when you really see the issues, especially in 132. Yeah. And that might even be the issue where, is that the one where Perry comments on their writing, their writing styles? It definitely that was falls, an issue of Superman. Yeah. It, that one falls a little bit later. Gotcha. Um, I think it might've been Superman red or no, or it was in the, uh, it was one of the later issues because it's like, if you, and hold on, I'm looking. No, no, no. It's it's all good. But but uh, yeah. I mean, I I I, I was interesting to hear you lay that out. And I I don't I agree. I mean, I think that there was there was material that really could have been mined here in a more interesting way. You know, it's funny. One of the things I was thinking about, and I forget what this arc was called, if it even had an official designation. But there was a four part story from the Bronze Age that we covered when we did our Bronze Age episode a couple of years ago. And uh, in that one, it was sort of this idea where Clark spent you know, an issue or two only as Clark, right? And you saw what he was kind of missing out on, you know, being Superman, even though he didn't have the responsibility. And then an issue or two where he's just Superman, right? And he's not constantly, you know, torn between his two lives, but he missed having that grounding, you know, effect of being Clark Kent. Something like that could have been really interesting here. They could have done something where maybe one of the characters leaned more into the Kryptonian side and you got more into quasi-eradicator territory. They could have done something where, you know, to really give the creative teams room to breathe and do their own thing. They could have done something where one of the supermen, you know, like went off to Candor or something like that to to help with the situation there. It's, I don't know, something, but I feel like, yes, initially we got this whole business where they didn't know the other existed and it was like very sitcom-y, right? And uh, until they, <laughs> they eventually, you know, meet and, and, and initially they each think the other one is cyborg and, you know, hilarity ensues. But- Well, even- Yeah as they cross paths with the justice league, because one of them goes up to the watchtower and like, Oh, it's Superman. And then like, Oh, this isn't Superman. And yeah, I'm trying to find that issue, but yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I remember that one that you're talking about where, where they, I think it's like Superman red who, who ends up at the watchtower initially, at least well, I, side note, I have to say it's uh, you know, we recently talked about Grant Morrison's JLA run and how, effective Morrison's use of electric Superman was in that run. Uh, interestingly, Morrison did not at all get into the Superman <laughs> red Superman blue of it all. I mean, I guess it was a short enough stretch as much as we talked about it, you know, being long and feeling, <laughs> feeling like it went on forever. Uh, I guess it didn't go on long enough and they were, I'm sure they were in the midst of a JLA arc at the time. So it wouldn't have made sense. Although part of me is like, Oh, it would have been interesting to see Morrison spin on Superman Red, Superman Blue, even just for an issue or two, because again, they did a fantastic job with the with the regular electric. 
I would have liked to see Grant just do maybe a one shot story, like maybe just a one shot Superman story. That, you know, because Grant's always finding a way to get psychological in the character with their mind and mental state and what he would bring. There's actually an interesting um, in the New Fifty Two. I think it's issue Superman number one or Action Comics number one in the New Fifty Two. I can't remember what it was when it was rebranded. Um, there is one panel that highlights the red and blue. It was, it was, it's interesting. Um, kind of a nod to that. Oh, that is cool. That is cool. I, I don't know. All in all, I just felt like, and we still haven't even gotten to the millennium giants, but I just feel like, yeah, this, I feel like we gotta, we gotta kind of hammer out our thoughts on the red and blue. Cause I feel like when we get in the millennium giants, it all gets lost. It's just two characters kind of doing their thing until the last two issues. When we get the shaman, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And But I guess more than anything, I just feel like, again, I think there are certain criticisms that are always levied against the 90s, no, the 90s generally, <laughs> the 90s Superman comics, these, this triangle era that we're talking about, that it was so event-driven and they were always chasing the death of Superman and it was gimmicky and blah, blah, blah. And for the most part, I have, I have not... Uh, you know, agreed with that in terms of what we've seen. I think we've seen a lot of integrity in the storytelling and trying to do something, trying to challenge the character while also selling books, right? I mean, I'm not saying that (laughs) that's not a part of it. Of course it is. But this, I think, is the first instance where I just felt like this is just gimmicky. Like, I don't feel like this is adding to the character. And, you know, you you had touched on this earlier. They already threw this massive change in the status quo at us with the new costume, with the new powers. And, you know, on the app, we don't get the letters pages, but, uh, you know, I mean, I certainly remember the, the sentiment at the time, as best as I can recall, was not necessarily an, uh, an overwhelmingly positive one from the fans. So it's so curious to me that they were like, we're doubling down. It's like, you don't like him as electric blue. You're really not going to like him as red and blue. So I don't know. It's just, it's just such an odd, it's just, it, you know, it's just kind of odd. And it just felt like it was like the one step too far for me. Electric was yeah. one thing, but this just pushed it. They just pushed it. And I am not against that. Like, cause it does feel like it was just something like, Oh, what can we do next? And I feel like that that's something we see in comics sometimes where you have a really good story going and then they throw something else in it. And then they just, throw a lot at you instead of trying to spread it out. Yeah, I was, try, I was trying to find something here on the app to show you, but I just, and then the fact that they don't really resolve and we'll, we'll, we'll hit that, but they don't really resolve the red and blue and then resolve the electric. They just wrap it all up together. Yes. So I guess this is a, as good a time as any to segue into Millennium Giants, although, you know, you mentioned Scorn, and I, let me talk about the supporting cast and what else is going on in the books at the time. Now, we've talked about, we definitely talked about Scorn and Ashbury and how we're really now stretching the limits of the supporting cast, right? We're getting into very tangential characters, and again, similarly, I'm at the point now for the first time where I feel like, hey, we're just, we're kind of, we're losing sight of the core here. What's interesting about the stretch that we read, these 30 some odd issues is that 
we don't get as much time with the supporting cast and the issues that you and I read that we normally do. Because once we get into this Millennium Giants crossover, we barely see the supporting cast. We're mostly just kind of in the thick of it with the two Supermen and the rest of the superhero community trying to stop these Millennium Giants. Uh, and then after that, we get into this Dominus arc. I mean, we'll talk more specifically about it, but essentially after Superman's powers are restored, uh, reality is warped around him, right? And he's living out these lives in the equivalent of the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and the future. And so even though we're seeing a number of our core supporting cast members, we're, we're not following their ongoing story, right? They're being presented in a, in a very different context than we normally see them. Uh, and by the time we're fully out of these altered alternate realities, uh, we're, we're just have a kind of a few issues left in the reading that we did where the daily planet is bought and shut down, uh, by Lex Luthor. So we don't have as much time with the supporting cast as we normally do, but some of the things that are kind of going on here, uh, Lex Luthor using this, uh, holographic, uh, representation of, of, of himself, disguised, of course, uh, abducts and experiments and tortures scorn to try to learn more about candor. Uh, we continue along this thread of Dirk Armstrong really being opposed to Ashbury and Scorn being together, although we do get a little bit of resolution there when uh, Lena Luther is abducted and Dirk Armstrong kind of has a, uh, an epiphany of like, oh my God, anything can happen. I'm glad at least my daughter has this protector. So I thought that was sort of a nice, uh, there's not much Scorn left after this. Uh, we're really kind of at the end of Scorn because he kind of, he's going to disappear off the board very shortly. So at least there was a little bit of resolution. It's weird how Scorn kind of exists as a secondary character in the run of the Electric Superman. It's almost like he goes hand in hand with Electric <laughs> Superman. You're right. Because he, he comes in at the same time. They try to make him a big deal. They're shoving it down our throat. And then he disappears at the same time. Like, like the creators realized, okay, no one really is latching onto this character like we had hoped. And he's gone. Basically, you know, you're right. He essentially does run the the duration of the Electric Superman saga, and then that's sort of it. Uh, this, you know, while we're here, let's just do a quick rundown of what's going on with the supporting cast. Then we'll do elect. Then we'll do Millennium Giants and uh, and, and Dominus. But um, we also have uh, this comes later. But you know, Ron Troop and Lucy Lane they've been dating, and she gets pregnant. And, uh, you know, we'll see this kind of carried through, uh, you know, over the stories to come. But there's a really funny moment where uh, Jimmy is, uh, is is kind of trying to comfort Lucy, right? And they're talking about this pregnancy. And then Lois kind of interrupts them and, and misunderstands initially and thinks that Jimmy and Lucy are having a baby. And, uh, you know, she re kind of reacts strongly to that. And... Uh, and then Lucy's like, no, like, but I am pregnant and it's Ron's. And Lois is instantly relieved. Uh, and this is a funny moment. And Jimmy's like, I don't know if I should be, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> if I should take that personally or not. But uh, I like that little moment between them. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. You know, I like that aspect. I like Ron. And Lucy, again, at least is Lois's sister. So it feels like we're, we're, uh, we're not, again, venturing so far beyond the bounds of our central cast here. I do find it interesting in the nineties, how all of a sudden Lois became a redhead and Jimmy became blonde. Yes. I, I had to put that in my notes. I'm like, did I miss something where like Jimmy dyed his hair undercover and decided to keep it or something? Or did they just one day decide to start 
making Jimmy blonde? That is a very good question. Uh, when speaking of Jimmy, he starts off this batch of issues. He's still tearing it up with Misa from the Harrys uh, and all of that. And they, you know, they're involved in, in rescuing Scorn. And he's ultimately able to return to Metropolis and, uh, you know, begs for his job back uh, at the Daily Planet and gets it again very shortly before, you know, Lex takes over and all of that. But we, you know, we had Jimmy kind of, you know, he was at GBS for a while, then he was on the run for a while. So we now have kind of restored Jimmy back to, to the status quo here. So we kind of had that going on as well. Yeah, it, it was, it just was weird. I mean, kind of, you know, in the sense, you know, at the time they were writing this, I don't, I don't think they knew that the electric was going to end when it did, when it was going, you know, I think it was the, like you said, the new status quo, but now looking back, it seems like it's more just an event error that really does feel like more like it's kind of a quasi sequel to the death and return event. We're like, Oh, it's another big epic change in Superman. Cause like you just said, Jimmy, Jimmy was taken out from being regular Jimmy doing something else. And he had to be put back into, here you go, Jimmy, this is where you're supposed to be much like, you know, how things change during the whole death and return, uh, time as well so it just it does feel more along the lines of this event that wasn't really planned to be an event um yeah i have to say i and i talked about this like overall i enjoyed jimmy's arc over the electric superman saga especially when he was working at gbs and sort of you know sold his soul a bit and lost his integrity and i thought that was interesting to delve into I guess what what's always frustrating about Jimmy, and uh, eventually we will have a full you know Jimmy deep dive that's still to come on the show. But I I guess what's tough is that they they do, and, and not that this doesn't happen for other characters, but in terms of resetting the status quo, it's like you know he's sort of always brought back to this kid, you know the the cub reporter slash cub photographer, reporter. right? And I felt like especially after how far he had grown professionally at GBS, it's like oh, it was cool seeing him in a different capacity. And, and maybe there would have been something to do in terms of bringing him back and making him more, more of a peer of Lois and Clark. I mean, look, the, and not, not, not to take us a uh, far afield, but in terms of, uh, you know, the Supergirl TV show, you know, I, I, I kind of lost interest after a while, but you know, one of the things that was interesting there, even though the characterization was like wildly different from what we would typically think of Jimmy Olsen in, per- in terms of personality, it was really interesting to see him, f- you know, further down the line and occupying this position of prominence in his career and at CatCo. And I just feel like in the comics, it would be cool to see him get to that to get to that point, but it's like, I always kind of have to reset him as that cub reporter. Yeah. I, you know, I, Jimmy Olsen is one of those characters that my, my buddy Brian and I debate about how old Jimmy should be because I always like him being, you know, like kind of like Superman's younger brother, best friend in a sense, you know, I say five to six years kind of thing where they're close enough that at one point there might be some age, but then Jimmy grows and they develop more of a solid friendship than then Jimmy always kind of being this kid that, you know, hangs around with Clark. Cause I like the idea of Jimmy being Clark's friend, you know, and Superman's kind of friend than him being just the <laughs> gee willikers, Mr. White at all times. Um, 
I don't, I don't how you feel about Jimmy. Like I agree. No. And it's funny you bring that up. I'm glad you said that. Cause that reminded me there's a bit, this is at, towards the end of our reading where the daily planet is in dire financial straits. Right. And Franklin Stern has announced that he's, you know, that, that the paper is going to be sold. And again, we're building to the point where Lex buys it and shuts it down. And that, globe is carried off and thrown in the junkyard where it will remain until Jeff Loeb's first issue uh, after Dan Jurgens departs the title. So we're in this, in this stretch for a while here, but there's this bit where Jimmy and uh, Carrie Axelrod, she's the young reporter who was able to snag some photos of Lena Luther, which incurred Lex's wrath and prompted him to buy and shut down the planet in the first place. But uh, Jimmy and Carrie and some of the other, you know, younger uh, employees at the planet are, are kind of sitting around chatting and, and Clark comes in and he's like, what are you kids doing? And I, that, I did not like that. It's like, don't make him seem like he's this, like yeah. this old man. <laughs> hey, you kids, yeah. what are you like a thousand here? Uh you kids, get back to work. Let me get my uh, Werther's original out. Although, I don't know if you remember the payoff to that, but it actually was perfect because Franklin Stern comes in and he actually takes Clark to task. He's like, what are you doing chastising them? It's a quarter to three and you're just showing up now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was just like this whole thing of, uh, again, I think that the ages, you know, it's it's kind of tough to pin down as far as what ages they actually are, what ages we would want them to be. But I think, yeah, there are ways of depicting them where they can feel we're at a minimum that Clark doesn't feel so much older. And again, a scene like that where he's like, what are you kids doing? It just, it just makes him feel so much older. And it's like, yeah, you kind of want more of a, you know, kind of a youthful energy and uh, not not always, but in this case, I think. My brother, my brother and I are three and a half, almost four years apart. And my other best friend, Devin, we are four years apart. You know, and now at this point in life, it's nothing. But when we, I first met him, you know, he was, I was, he was 18 and I was, you know, four years older than that, you know, so 22. Um, so there was a little bit more of this and that, and that's, that's how I kind of see Clark and Jimmy type thing. Clark's a little bit older and, but there's not enough that it's awkward that they're hanging out. It's awkward. They're friends. You know, Clark has just enough age on Jimmy that Jimmy looks up to him and follows his lead and Clark can still be youthful, but you know, a little bit more mature and Jimmy's growing up. And I love that. I don't want Jimmy to be, you know, the, the cub reporter at all times um, because there is that mindset, like you said, in comics of taking it back was we got to reset it back, taking it back. Millennium Giants. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one other, uh, you know, one other note on this, on the supporting cast, because one big piece here and unsurprisingly, because I've far and away, you know, I think the Lex pieces, you know, tend to be the most interesting and compelling in a lot of instances. So uh, here, what's going on with Lex is that, as we talked about last time, after the Contessa gave birth to Lena, Lex had her place in a medically induced coma and and kind of tucked away, right? She'll never be able to hold their daughter. Uh, so what we have here early on in the issues that we were reading is a fire at the hospital or nursing home where Contessa is being held. And there are, you know, everyone's accounted for except Contessa. And there are, you know, these charred remains and they assume it's her, but of course we know it's not. And Lex soon comes to learn that as well when he sent this, uh, you know, this uh, dead rose 
right? And then when we get to the Superman Forever one shot where Lena is abducted, uh, we find out that Contessa, we actually see Contessa, she's alive, she's well. This was sending a message to Lex, like, I can get to you, I can get to Lena. Uh, we're not done with her yet in the Superman titles, although in terms of what you and I read, that was essentially it. But uh, but there's that going on. And then also with Lex, this is also this also introduces this business with Hypersector, this new uh, real estate development in Metropolis that Lex is the secret power behind. And there's this lone holdout, Mr. Odette, right, who has this farm, this house uh, in the middle of this, you know, industrial development that he refuses to sell. And this is going to continue into the Loeb Kelly era a couple of years later, because Stuart Immonen remained on Adventures of Superman and he continued this story. Uh, so we're we're in this for a while as well. But Hypersector, uh, this is introduced here as well. And when Lex sets up Lexcom where this, the few remaining Daily Planet employees are placed, you know, that's in that area as well. So we kind of have that going on in the backdrop. Uh, when we do see the supporting cast, we have that going on too. All right. Is there anybody, anybody else we didn't hit on major supporting cast wise? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think we got everybody. I, I think that was it. We only see <clears throat> Ma and Pa in Superman Forever. And we'll talk about that. But I have to tell you, as far as the red and blue, how, <laughs> again, hindsight's twenty twenty. easy to be a Monday morning quarterback 20 years later. But like, how was there not an issue where Ma and Pa meet Superman red, Superman blue? Right. You know, I mean, that goes back to kind of what I was, what I was saying is like, I think this could be a good story. Had they resolved the red and blue thing before the Millennium Giants story, and just made the red and blue like a six issue arc. And it starts off, you know, in issue two, where they start to kind of try to make the positive of there's two Superman, all the good that we can do. And they go to mom, pa, and they meet them together. And then you have, you could have had a great conversation with Lois and ma or mo or pa. And he's like, that's not my boy. Like they see the same struggle. Like Lois is having where they realize that's not Clark. You know, you could have had, a, you know, a, a where Red is working the farm with Pa and he's really like aggravated and agitated because he's wanting to do it faster. And then Blue's talking with Ma and you and you get to see them interact and both Ma and Pa come back like we're, they're worried and concerned because in a way their boy doesn't exist anymore. So I really feel like that was a missed opportunity if you were going to do this story you should have really put the heart into of what a man torn apart is resolve. Like how cool would it have been? Like they resolved the red and blue. He becomes whole. And then maybe because of him, the, the, the power of him uniting as one sparks an energy field in the earth. And that's what awakens the giants or something. I, you know, like, Oh, because I like that. Oh, that would have made more. That would have been, that would have, I would have liked that a lot better because you know, when we get into the Millennium Giant part and we get the shaman part, it reminds me once again, it's back to him talking, saying these riddles about um, I had it written quote where he's like about a man torn or a man knowing himself and being divided and what this does. And, you know, something like this where he's basically positioning, like you're going to have to sacrifice yourself to win this. And because there's the part where he said, there's like the two ways to go. Oh, but look how one man can go both ways. So there's this all this imagery about one becoming two. Why not just funnel that into the story 
instead of adding this, you know, um, multi-layered millennium giants that feature so many other characters in this world spanning, you know, event and just made it more personal, made, made the red and blue more of that small scaled, emotional, personal story than this grandiose epic about these, you know, beings that, I mean, I don't even half get, like I half get <laughs> what these millennium giants are. Okay. I've seen it. I've seen things similar. Um, they reminded me this. I will give a plug for if anyone's looking for an amazing series to watch with kids, the troll hunter series on Netflix that was produced by Eliermo del Toro is amazing. And I say that because they wrap up the, the, um, the whole series. It's like three series come together and they do the one movie to tie it all and end it. And there are these three arcane Titan type giants at the end. It's a very similar vibe, but they did it so much better than what they're trying to present here with these millennium giant things. And, I think they just were excited to use the term millennium because, you know, 2000 was coming up at the time and it was like hip. And it's so weird in my mind of just thinking like this is the last major chunk of the 90s and how distinctively different this feels than like a book from 2001. Yes. I, you know, it's funny because I've, I was thinking about that, too, and just trying to remember. Just I guess what it what it felt like at the turn of the century, right? And that it's like it's the millennium, at, you know, yeah, the Backstreet Boys millennium album <laughs> of all things. Yeah. That's what jumps out at me. Wait, <laughs> hey, wait, wait, don't forget Willennium. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Smith dropping the Willennium. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, the whole Y two K thing, and people didn't know what was happening. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this I you know this is definitely kind of of the moment and all that. But no, I agree with you. I and again, I think sort of our points tie together here that they're from a personal perspective there, there could have been, again, I think a, a deeper story told here. And I think if we had a Clark Kent who was torn in some way, again, between career and superhero, between women, between Krypton and earth, anything, I think the track that they chose of, you know, cautious versus hot headed because this Clark, this Superman wasn't, wasn't really torn between anything. I felt like that was kind of the only avenue that was available to them. And you you only get so much mileage out of that. That's the problem. And what frustrates me, and look, side note, because I, I think about this sometimes, I don't know if anyone involved in the making of these books like has ever listened or will ever listen to one of these episodes. Probably not, but maybe. And I just want to say, like, if anyone ever does... I, you know, I, I love these books. I, I appreciate the work that went into them. And I know it's not easy. And I also, although I think this kind of helps as we're, even when, you know, if we get a little bit more negative, it's not one person, right? Like it's the, it's the collective here, collective. Right? you know? And it's like, again, I, I think people's intentions were good. Uh, and I appreciate the work. So, and you, you know, I just want to say that okay, like on the off chance, like someone ever listens to like F this guy. It's like, no, no, no. I, yeah. I, I <laughs> Yeah, it's you know we're we're both speaking from a a point of love and acceptance of this material and how we wish things had been, um, but anyone who's been in any kind of creative process and project knows how things can get lost. I mean, you know, it's not like this is a creative writer, like it's not like Dan Jurgens is just writing, you know, the red and blue. Like you said, these are at a time where we're getting a book a week, 
you know, and you have this team and this team and you have these editors who are trying to keep it, you know, cohesive, but at the same time, it can get lost when you have one writer doing it and, you know, finding the voice of the character that's kind of being redefined. You know, it's, it's one thing if I were to hand you like, Hey, I want you to write Superman. Now you have an idea of who the character is and you could pick up and write it and capture that voice. But the voice that had become this Superman was being redefined. Well, now you have to tweak that voice into two different characters. And then your perception of what, how red should be, you know, compared to mine. So when I'm writing, you know, the adventures of, and you're just writing the Superman title and then, you know, other guy over here is writing action. It can get convoluted and messed up because we're all trying to figure this out together. And you even said on one of your episodes about how they would introduce an electric power. If it didn't work, they would just drop and forget it happened. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. They're like, they're, they're just figuring this out. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. Um, All right. So, Millennium Giants, we had a question from one of our patrons, Brian, who said, I haven't read any of these since they came out, but I still have them. Is the Millennium Giants story as drawn out and boring as I remember? And we also had a patron question from Josh, Josh, who sort of refreshed the question that he had asked as far as Electric Superman. Generally, he had said, could you... It concisely summarize how Superman got the electric powers. We talked all about that. Now he sort of reissued the question, uh, can we in a few concise sentences explain Millennium Giants? I feel like that's actually kind of an easier task in this case. So even though we're not, we don't have it all totally spelled out, maybe to the extent that we we might have liked, essentially what it boils down to is that you have these these ancient beings who periodically rise and cleanse the earth, you know, sort of reverting it back to a balanced neutral state. And they are due, as their name suggests, to rise again at the millennium. But Superman's electrical powers have upset the nature of the earth and caused them to rise early. And so they are now going to walk and cleanse the earth. So I'm going to leave it there as far as my concise summary. Now, as far as the science of how they do all of this, <laughs> it's like they follow the ley lines of the earth and siphon off the energy and then kind of use those markers to like carve out huge chunks of the earth that they excise. And in its place, they leave behind, I think the term was like cosmic putty uh, <laughs> that will be then used to kind of like reshape the earth. And you had mentioned them earlier, but the Millennium Guard are sort of the heralds of the giants and they're the ones who awaken them. But the giants themselves don't speak 
And most of what we kind of learn about all of this comes from the, the Millennium Guard and then that shaman uh, from the village of Dos Hermanos, which, side note, I say side note a lot, uh, but <laughs> uh, did you watch Arrested Development? No. Okay. It was on my to-watch list. I just never got around to it. Real quick, and Arrested Development fans will appreciate this. There's this really funny episode where Michael and Job, who are brothers, are dating the same Latin American woman, unbeknownst to either of them. And she keeps telling nice. each of them, I'm dating your hermano. But they are so dense, they don't understand <laughs> that hermano means brother. And so the whole episode, <laughs> you've got each of them, you know, Will Arnett plays Job. And he's like, who is this hermano that she's dating? <laughs> and it goes back and forth. And, you know, it takes the whole episode before they figure it out. Very funny. But the Mexican village of Dos Hermanos uh, just made me think of that. Anyway. So, it's funny uh, yeah. because Dos, think about it, Dos Hermanos, meaning Dos two Hermanos brothers. And what do we have kind of with this Clark and Superman Red and Blue is like two brothers, but yet one person kind of thing. Um, did you, hold on, I was going to ask, um, dang it, I totally forgot it, but I was thinking, hold on. Um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Did you ever watch the movie? My Godzilla viewing is very limited. I'm I'm sorry to say, it's okay. I won't tell Solomon. He'll be crushed. Um, in King of the Monsters, they talk about when these titans come up, and they talk about like Godzilla and Muto and all this. That as in the radiation these ancient beings possess, and as they go through and they actually are destroying you know things by just being there, the radiation they put off is actually igniting growth and plants and earth to come back to life. That's a much more simplistic and interesting than what they're doing with these Millennium Giants. You know, if it had just been like the, because isn't there, there's a line in here about the Millennium Giants where weren't they like the cause of Noah's flood or something they said, like they cleansed the world. And I'm like, okay, why don't I just have them rise? Um, You know, in, in that Troll Hunter story, I was talking about the giants, the arcane giants come together and they're going to meet in one place and kind of bond and then just cleanse the earth through like fire or flood or, you know, doesn't that make a lot more simplistic sense than the whole ley lines energy thing? Uh, and I feel like sometimes with comics, they want to overcomplicate storylines. You ever notice like when someone adapts a comic, how they strip certain things out and how much better of a story it is, but in a comic, they're like how much more crap can we put in here to confuse people and just, you know, super science this and super science that. And you're just like, I, I don't need all that. Like just the, the giants rise and cause massive earthquakes, volcanoes and floods that cleanses the earth. Okay, good. I'm, I'm good. I'm in, I'm in there with you. I don't need ley lines. That just feels like a whole nother thing. <laughs> this story felt to your point, uh, unnecessarily convoluted yet at the same time, too simple and repetitive simultaneously. I, I don't like, I don't, and I don't mean to sound like a, like a jerk, but it's like somehow they achieved this bizarre alchemy of like, it's really, there's a lot going on, but also it's just the same thing. Issue after issue, you know, to Brian's point, was this as long and drawn out as he remembers? Look, this is the crazy thing about this. It's six issues of the core Superman titles. Now, we skipped. I said, don't do the crossovers. And I, I just, I literally just, you know, on the app, I just like scroll through them really quickly. Yep. 
But it crossed over into five additional titles, Supergirl, Steel, Challengers of the Unknown, Teen Titans, and Aquaman. So six issues of the Superman books, almost double if you throw in the crossovers, which we did not. But, and like I said earlier, we're largely away from the supporting cast here. Again, there's a little bit where Lex is trying to flee the planet. You know, like you check in with Lex a little bit. But for the most part, and this was where, again, I felt like we... I know I've talked about how sometimes we were we were spending too much time with a supporting cast, but here there was not enough. You know, going back to Final Night, remember in those Superman tie-in issues where Perry White, who is cancer-stricken, right? He was like on his deathbed at this point, but he and the Daily Planet staff did like go out to the printing press, right? And they put out the what could be the final edition of the Daily Planet, but it was that personal connection. Yeah. Here, you don't have that. It's issue after issue of the two Superman and Lois is reporting on it, and these other superheroes who get involved trying to stop these giants who don't speak and who seemingly can't be stopped. And it's, I just like, it's the same, it's the same thing over and over. This was, this in particular, the Millennium Giants was really the low point. That for me, this was the lowest point within this stretch. And the entire Triangle Era, to be honest. I feel like they just wrote one issue, then cut and pasted it multiple times, they're like, okay, now just change the giant up and reword the dialogue, and there you go. I know. It's like, I, you know, it's funny. As I'm sitting here, I'm like, because I, I want to give people examples. And it's like, I'm hard-pressed to even, like, remember what the best, the, the most specific it, thing is, like, Markovia gets lifted, right? And Geoforce is trying to stop it and all of that. But it's like, do you remember specifics of this? <laughs> I don't. And I was rereading it last night. That's how bland and just kind of non-impact I felt was – you know, they were just moving and they're trying to, it's just, it just felt like that same, like you would have in an episode of something or in like one book of, Oh, we can't stop this giant. What do we do? And then the next book, we can't stop this giant. We've, we've hit it with everything. What do we do? The next book can't stop this one either. There was, there was no, there was nothing that <laughs> happened. You know, like if you go to review a comic, like we are now and you read it and you're like, man. And then when you're talking with your friend, like what happened? You're like, I don't know. Like I, nothing. Like I read 15, 20 pages of nothing because there was really nothing that stood out that made me think about it. Like I just remember going through here like, okay, Anthony said this was difficult to get through. Let's, let's, okay. All right. Because I felt that up until the last issue where, you know, the two Superman have to kind of come together to, to, to do everything. And they, they, um, basically one of them goes Superman blue goes into the earth and starts spinning his energy and expelling his energy. And the other and Superman red goes into the sky and is flying around. Um, there's nothing interesting really going on other than, you know, the, the shaman who was secretly the, the something of the keep who looked like he was lost from like, you know, from the Lord of the Rings or something. He just was a very random and character out of left field or, um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that the two Superman's energies is what stops them just feels awkward at the same time. So, uh, No, exactly. I mean, it's really issue after issue of just like these giants can't be stopped. Well, let's try this. Oh, it didn't work. And it's just sort of the same thing over and over. And then, uh, yeah, the, the shaman, right, there's this whole business with the flame that the two Superman put out, which actually does cause the Millennium Giants to return to the earth but as they're doing that they cause the 
Earth's core to become unstable or some nonsense like that. And then that leads to exactly what you described, where you have blue in the center and red circling the Earth. And, you know, they have to be willing to expend all of their energy and sacrifice themselves in order to heal the Earth. And yes, of course they do. And, you know, the Millennium Giants, the core story ends with Martian Manhunter saying, I cannot detect any trace of either Superman. Like their energy is dissipated. They're gone. And that's kind of how, yeah. how it ends. So it's, uh, man, if there are any Millennium Giants fans out there, please let me know because I feel like this was so rough. This was just, uh, this, it was just tough to get there. I don't want to belabor the point, but this, this was a rough, rough read. It's another one that I would love to know more of what was going on in the background because it felt rushed. It felt, um, I, I can see the better story in there. I could see where you could have done this story to where something was going on and you could have spent like a book with each giant and how they got released. And it'd been like a three or four, like a four issue arc where each book's like the, how the one giant with a little bit of history of that particular giant, where it's coming from. And then the last book is all the giants kind of coming together and how you're going to stop them. I, I can see the better story in there. But it just it just feels like you end this Millennium Giants the same time you end Electric Superman, but Electric and Blue Superman all at once. And even then, there's not even this panel of saying goodbye or, you know, some big kind of like finale. It's just they're doing their own thing. And then, like you said, Martian Manhunter's like, I can't detect them. And then when 700 starts, it's this very interesting way it begins and it's moving like there's no, I don't feel there's really that kind of goodbye to red and blue. Like there kind of should be. That's a good, yeah. You know, there's not even like a scene of like the stereotypical, like Superman, like screaming as he's just being pulled into electricity. Like there were some panels before that were drawn that showed like, electric just kind of is like his uh red is like this electric head or whatever um something that just kind of shows them coming apart energetically um nothing that really makes you feel that oh my god look what he did like he um you know used all of his energy and expect you know basically blew himself up to where we were feeling that it just was oh look he's spinning in the earth they're talking over it and that that's it I, I agree. I think, you know, look, if you're going to ask audiences to invest in Electric Superman and Superman Red, Superman Blue, you know, give give it a good payoff. I mean, I will say in terms of, look, limited though it was, as we've discussed, there was this whole business about the contrasting personalities, their inability to work together, the fact that they're two halves of a whole. And so when you got that handshake between them, you know, towards the climax, right, and this commitment to doing whatever it takes, it's like, okay. We have some resolution on that on that tension that had been established. Fair enough. But yes, I agree. I think in terms of how their energy dissipation is presented, you don't really feel it. You don't really feel it. And I think there could have been some emotion there. And then, so we get to Superman Forever, which I have to say, overall, this was a jam issue, right? All of the creative teams working together. It was like 80 pages. It was, it was long. But yeah. to me, honestly, after everything we had been through, <laughs> not, not to, you know, it's not the end of the world, just reading some comics we didn't love, but after everything we had been through, I found it to be really a delight and a breath of fresh air to get into Superman forever. And, you know, it opens with, you know, initially sort of a retelling of, you know, 
Kal-El's departure from Krypton, and then that kind of bleeds into Superman, adult Superman, crashing uh, in Smallville in front of Jonathan and Martha, and he sleeps for like over a day, uh, and then he wakes up, and we see that, of course, he's alive, he's one person again, and his classic powers have been restored. He uses his super hearing to hear Mon Pa outside. He lifts the truck that's stuck. He uses his x-ray vision to identify a leak in the fuel line. He fuses it with his x-ray vision. So in one fell swoop, it's like, oh, okay, he's back. But it was... No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it was interesting because, you know, he he. it feels like the way it starts is weird because it's like, I, I hadn't read this in a while. And when it starts, you know, it's like they're telling his story and you think he's crash landing on earth as a baby, but like you said, it's adult Superman. They take him home and then he wakes up and he thinks mom, pa are just in the other room and he walks in and he's like, no, where are they? And they're outside and his powers are coming back. And it's like, you feel like, I don't know if you did, but that beginning of 700 feels like I'm right back in burns man of steel. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's where I'm picking back up from. Like I had just been in the twilight zone of Superman and it really, like you said, it feels like a, f- a breath of fresh air. Well, it feels like, Hey, we're back to Superman. You know, this is, this is Superman again. Like now I'm back. The, I don't know what I was just doing, who that was, but that wasn't, you know, Superman, this is Superman. And I liked the first part of 700, but then I feel like we lost sight of what this book was. And now we're doing like a separate story, you know, the whole, like the, the lead Luther kidnapping thing. I feel like that could have been another issue of something. Like, I feel like 700 should have been just, we could have took a little bit more time with Clark being reintroduced of being Clark, having his regular powers again, going back to Lois and had a really great story of I'm me again, Lois, like, and this really strong bond of her reconnecting with her husband that she felt like she had lost and wasn't sure if he would ever be back. And then, you know, Clark coming back to the daily planet, there could have been some fun, but I really feel like in this in a way was like, all right, let's forget that whatever happened just happened. Like there was no red, there was no blue, there was no electric Superman's back. Let's go. That's I mean, that's what it felt like. There was no really tying up the resolution, no like scene of Superman with Dr. Hamilton, like, you know, there could have been something about everything looks back to normal, him back to the fortress where they're like, oh, Kal-El, welcome back. We recognize your DNA now. Um, I, I just feel like that's what the issue should have been. And then the the kidnapped Lena and where it goes could have been like the next issue afterwards. But I'm, I'm done talking now. No, I hear you. I So this, the, the structure of it actually worked for me because I felt like with the abduction of Lena – it, it kind of served that function you're talking about of reintroducing him because the abduction touched on the SCU, it touched on the Daily Planet, like the whole city was talking about it. So as Superman was investigating, you had all of these instances where people were like, oh, Superman, you're back and, and this and that. But I agree with you. I mean, I think there, there were still, there were some missed opportunities. The Fortress is a good one. Hamilton, you know, it's funny, the, early on when he split into red and blue, one of them goes to Hamilton's office, but like Hamilton's not there. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, well, it's like, <laughs> well, maybe try to track him down or something. <laughs> you know, it's, this is pretty important. There's, we skipped over this, but there was a Man of Tomorrow issue where the, the two Supermen go to the fortress and they find a, a obsession there. And then Maxima shows up and they fight. And anyway. Yeah, that was, it was a fun read, but 
overall, this whole thing, like if you had done our story about the, about the, you know, the issues of being one person and two, it makes more, but in the overall arc of it, yeah, we just, it gets lost because it really doesn't mean anything. Exactly. But in any event, as far as forever, uh, I liked, I mean, I like that we start with Mon Pa. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. And look, it's not like Mon Pa have to be in it constantly, but when you look back on what we've been talking about over these recent episodes, again, they have that man of tomorrow issue where they sit there and they recount Clark's history. Uh, prior to that, when Superman first gets the electric powers, he does stop by the farm and show them off, but it's a, it's a brief scene. I mean, like they really have not gotten much play for quite some time. And I, again, I, I think that's unfortunate. So I am glad that they had this moment here, you know, bringing everything full circle. The other thing that's kind of interesting to me, and I didn't really think about this so much until you mentioned it, but this whole, you know, this whole notion of like, oh, the real Superman is back. I get it. Right. And clearly the, the reaction to electric Superman was, was mixed at best. So maybe everyone was just kind of like, Hey, like, let's just all come together. It's, it's Superman. But at the same time, part of me feels like, Hey, again, you asked us to invest in this version of the character. So maybe honor that don't make it feel like, Oh, it's being brushed aside. And kind of on that point, we've talked a lot about, okay, what is the explanation for the electric powers? Very nebulous. We got this whole business about Tolos and, you know, shifting between dimensions and becoming vulnerable to an energy wave. Then, okay, how does he get split into red and blue? There we have a concrete answer. As far as how he's restored to normal, it's chalked up to Clark surmising that the earth rewarded him for his willingness to sacrifice himself. That's, so for anyone who's like, hey, How'd he go from Superman Red, Superman Blue back to classic Superman? Well, as far as he thinks, the Earth rewarded him and restored him to normal. That's it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. It's, it just, it felt like it was one of those, like, we have to get this back. We ha do it now. Just in this and go back to regular Superman now. It, it just felt like it was mandated to fix it because. You know, they would have done something where they were back to one being and then something happened in a story where maybe Clark went back into the sun or, you know, something where his DNA was altered. Because I, I could see a version of where he was trying to cure himself and what it did was it completely stripped away the electric powers. He was completely human for like an issue. But then when he went, when he stripped them away and went human, his Kryptonian cells started to soak up the energy again. And he was restored back to regular, uh, Clark like that. But yeah, the earth restored me. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a stretch for even for like the suspension of disbelief that I'm willing to go in Superman stories. There's still that line of, no, you're you're not selling me on this. I think Superman Red and Superman Blue should have just been thrown into the sun. What I've come to learn is that when in doubt, that's a pretty easy fix. Just throw them in the sun. It's all good. They wrapped kryptonite around him and threw him into the sun. And the sun's radiation to the kryptonite created a beam that pulled him back together. And then it burned away all the electricity from him. And he then popped out a kryptonian. 
for sure. For sure. I, you know, <laughs> I, it's a, uh, look, it is what it is. It gets us where we all kind of wanted to go. So we'll, we'll kind of go with it and we're, we're back. And, and, you know, again, now we're picking up with our supporting cast and we have this whole Lena abduction and, you know, ultimately, you know, we talked about how Contessa was behind it, but it's a uh, bizarro, a new bizarro who had actually taken, you know, going back to our, you know, our listener, Tim here and the whole bizarro, uh, Dabney Donovan had created, you know, using Lex's old files, like created a new Bizarro who took Lena, but then they had a self-destruct thing and Bizarro was destroyed. So it was a very short-lived return, but uh, it was nice to see. Again, this was one of the things that I really had forgotten, I guess, before I started delving back into the Triangle era. As much as I always thought of Bizarro, I was like, oh, he's like, oh, he's always around. He really wasn't. It's like it was Man of Steel. It was, uh, you know, around the time of Battle for Metropolis a little bit before when the, the, that Bizarro's world thing uh, you know, now, and it's like, there's very little bizarro really when you sort of look at the sum total of, uh, of all these issues. It It's just one of those things. It's kind of like, like one of our other things that we love power Rangers. You felt like there was a long period of time where Tommy wasn't there after the green Ranger, his powers disappeared. But when you go back and you look at it, it was like two episodes and then he was back and then he disappeared. And it was like, two episodes and then he was back as the white ranger like it really was ba-boom 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 but as a kid you're like oh my gosh when tommy left it was so long till he came back and you just you just felt like it was so much but now you're like "Mm, no it, it wasn't so it's just it's our perception of time you know and the way that we consume these products too because you know Maybe you were getting them every week or month on time. Maybe you weren't. So you were catching up with it when you were. And if if more time had passed for you. So, you know, compared to now we can, we're reading it, binge reading basically. So it doesn't, we don't feel that now we're like, oh, and we're looking at things more astutely than what we had in the past. No, that's very true. I mean, kind of on that note, I was going to save this for the end, but no, I mean, I, I remember very vividly going, I was shopping at alternate realities, which I've spoken a lot about in my various projects. But at, at this point in time and in, in the late nineties, I was shopping at alternate realities and that's the shop I would go on to, to work at and for, for many years until closed. But, uh, I mean, I remember, like, I remember going in and getting all of these issues and I remember really kind of getting burnt out on it, uh, as, as well. But, uh, but no, like I, you know, again, we're at the point now I've mentioned this before, but we're at the point now in my reading where I was old enough. Like I really do have those, those, those memories of it. But again, I think Superman forever really was a nice, for me at least was a breath of fresh air after what we had been through and, and sort of kind of got us back to, to, you know, a reset kind of back to status quo. Interestingly, and it's, it is interesting, like how, we go f- from all the red and blue business to Superman forever. And then instantly we're launched into months of this Dominus storyline where Superman's reality is altered. And again, he's living out these lives in essentially the golden, silver, bronze and future ages here. So, you know, we got to talk about the Dominus and this whole stretch here, which again, this goes on for, this is like four months uh, um, <laughs> this storyline here. What, I mean, just big picture. What, what, what did you think of all of this? I was a little lost. I'll be honest at times because I don't know if it, some of it was with the app where I was trying to read and I wasn't quite piecing it all together that what I was reading was 
in a distinctive time. Cause you know, like just looking at, and I have it pulled up here. That's why I have my, it's so weird. So weird looking at my iPad compared to having a book in front of me, you know, um, just pulling this up and staring at it instead of like showing you, but like at the end of, you know, where we have all these extra epilogues and they're showing the different times, you know, that's where we go into. And as I was reading, I was like, I'll, I'll be honest. I was getting a little confused. Um, just because I wasn't sure what had happened, you know, and then I had to keep backing up. So I, I'm not sure I hit everything with the Indominus. I'll be honest with you. Um, because I, I was kind of getting a little confused on what was going on. So no, that's totally fine. Just as a side note, I'm going to leave this in. It's totally fine. Uh, we had talked off mic about hearing a little bit of static. I'm, I think I'm getting a little bit more. I think when you're closer to the mic, it's, it's less of an issue. Um, but so I'll just, we'll, we'll see how that works. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I do want to apologize to anybody just because it could be my mic. I've been having on the podcast myself, some issues. I'm actually doing some research now to get a new mic. Um, so it could be something with the mics going bad in itself. All good, but it definitely I, I, sounds better as you're closer to it. So that's perfect. So good. I'll, I'll stay closer. So this is, so as far as this stretch that we're talking about, and though, you know, it didn't necessarily have uh, an umbrella title, but I, I think one of the, the issue descriptions did call it the like Superman forever part seven. So we'll call this the Superman forever arc or the first Dominus arc because Dominus is going to come back in our next episode when we talk about, or uh, yeah, our next episode when we talk about, no, not the next episode. I'm getting all jumbled up here because next time we have 1 million. Um, But the finale of this event where we talk about King of the World, Dominus comes back. Anyway, so as far as what we're talking about here, after Superman Forever, each of the books uh, sort of went on their own track here and Superman was living... Uh, again, a different version of his life. And it was all meant to evoke the the other iterations of Superman that readers had had been accustomed to, right? So uh, Adventures of Superman is ostensibly set in the Silver Age. We get an issue where uh, Jimmy Olsen seemingly is turned into an alien, but he's actually been replaced by an alien. We get another issue where Brainiac uh, draws a comet towards the earth and it's, it gives everyone superpowers except Dan Turpin. Cause he was the one person who didn't want them. Uh, and then it all turns out to be a plot by Mixius Pitalik. We get another one, uh, where Clark and Bruce had been raised as brothers essentially. So again, all in the vein of the silver age, uh, action comics, uh, was set in the polyester year, AKA the bronze age. So we had Clark working at GBS as a news anchor, uh, we had the prankster uh, abducting Lana Lang and trying to marry her. So that was our Bronze Age book. Uh, Man of Steel, far and away my favorite, was Golden Age Superman. And it was all about Superman in Nazi Germany uh, liberating uh, the ghettos and concentration camps and fighting the Nazis. And it was tremendously powerful. There were some really, really tough, harrowing scenes uh, where you're really spending time with um, w- with with the people in these uh, in these uh, horrendous situations, and really kind of both us as the audience and Superman as a character being faced uh, with the with the harsh reality of all of this. And then Superman dealt with um, twenty nine ninety nine. So it was a look at the far future of the Superman lineage. Interestingly, right, uh, and we'll talk about this in our next episode. But we're very close to DC one million. So it's kind of interesting to me that we went into the far future when we were so close to that event. But as all of these stories are unfolding, you know, Superman doesn't know, right? He's just living his life, and he thinks this is his life. We, the reader, of course, recognize that. 
uh, things are not as they seem. And there's this little girl with white hair who keeps showing up at various points to be like, this isn't right. This isn't right. But she kind of disappears and Superman doesn't remember. Um, and it takes like three months into this essentially <laughs> before uh, everything sort of starts to unravel. And uh, we learn that this new villain, Dominus, uh, this cosmic entity uh, has warped reality around Superman because he knows Superman has a connection with the being known as Kismet, who we've met before in the Superman books. Uh, she played a key role in Adventures 500 when John, Jonathan Kent and Clark are both in the afterlife. Uh, he knows that by putting Superman in danger, it will draw Kismet out. He'll be able to defeat her and usurp her position uh, as this cosmic, uh, as this cosmic being. So, I apologize for going on and on setting this up, but for anyone who's not familiar with this, I just kind of wanted to lay out exactly like what this business <laughs> was all about. Uh, so that was sort of what was going on for these few months. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was just trying to pull up a couple of things. Cause like, yeah, there's, I, I flashed the Donimus color cover that showed, you know, a little bit more what was going on and with the, all the different versions of Superman. So it is, like I said, I, I read a little bit, but I did get confused because the, the way it was broken up on the app and I wasn't sure if I had read too much into it. Um, no, I, I understand. I, I guess the one big thing I just want to say is, uh, I remember, you know, you talk about being lost, you know, following it on the app, but I remember as a kid, I don't, I don't think I really knew what was going on with these issues, right? Like, as I said before, and I'll, I'll say again now, at this point in the nineties, right? I'm, I'm 11 years old. I'm not yet reading wizard. Uh, the internet is not what it is today and I'm not really on it anyway. I'm not yet at the point where I'm really having conversations with people at the comic shop. So I, I mean, I feel like whatever I knew about the different ages that these issues were, were trying to emulate probably came from the letters pages more than anything, you know, but I definitely remember just, 
I don't know that I was necessarily put off by it. And I get, you know, I understood it was Superman in different times, right? You know, uh, 1938, mm. 68, 78, 29, 99. Like I understood that at least, but it definitely didn't have the full impact that it does now, right? Where I've read a lot of stories from the gold and silver and bronze ages. And so now I look at this and I'm like, oh, like that's, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, and I think they actually did a great job of emulating those eras. So uh, I definitely got a lot more mileage out of it now than I did at 11 years old in the 90s. So it was cool to see. And again, and I'll say this, audience, if you're not familiar with these issues, at a minimum, read those three Man of Steel issues by Simonson and Bogdanov. You know, with with the artist in particular, you know, his style has often been likened to Joe Schuster. But here, I mean, it's just... It's great. And what's funny is the first one really kind of starts off as essentially a retelling of Action Comics number one, you know, where he's breaking into the, mm-hmm. you know, to the governor's mansion, all that. And it's like, oh, okay, are we just kind of getting a rehash of, of that? But it really becomes its own thing. It's very powerful. Um, and it's just, there's this visceral satisfaction of seeing Superman just beat the crap out of Nazis. And again, this is the tougher golden age Superman, right? He's yes, just throwing is. people around. Like, it's great. So I highly recommend that um, if nothing else. Yeah, it's and it kind of you know you talk about that that it that makes sense and you know on one thing I wish the app did do better is like follow like with the triangle layer follow that pattern instead of following uh, the the book order because that would help with with this situation because you know like you said about being a kid and going and reading them you're just reading the titles and you went from reading titles where everyone was kind of tying it together to where now they're kind of separate and they're going to tie in at the end, but you're getting your, what you think is the next book of Superman, but it really isn't picking up. It's its own entity. So yeah, that, that would be very confusing. Interestingly enough, this was one of the rare instances where, I mean, I read them in their triangle number order, but you actually could have read, you know, the three adventures of Superman, Silver Age issues, you know, the three action Bronze Age issues and, and so on. And really gotten a continuous story uh, kind of with this thread in the background of something's not not right. So eventually, again, Superman is a <laughs> with the help of this little girl, right, is able to break free of Dominus's control. And, well, you know, this kind of made me laugh. Right. So when we see him finally back in present day Metropolis. He's, you know, in the middle of the street and everyone's around him like, are you okay? Are you okay? And there's this couple from Idaho and they're like, yeah, we came to Metropolis. And all of a sudden we saw him flying up in the sky and then he just like crash landed and he started talking about Nazis and future stuff. (laughs) And I was saying to myself, like, what does the, what do the people of Metropolis think of Superman? Like between the changes in powers, being two people, just sort of, you know, kind of seemingly having an episode you know, in the middle yeah. of the street. And then we still haven't gotten to King of the World, where we'll get there, where he sets himself up as the authoritarian leader of the world. Uh, you know, and again, I know the books do deal with the fallout of that, where he does at least partially lose the trust of the people for for a short period of time. But it's like, I'm not surprised. It's like, you're really, <laughs> it's a lot of I, faith that people have to have in him. I feel like what it is, is it's just a downward spiral if we don't know what to do with Superman. Because I feel like there. 700 sets you up where you feel like you're going back to the status quo of Superman. Wait, why do you but keep calling ever... 700? The Superman Forever? Uh, I don't. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, gotcha. Superman Forever. 
I don't know why I said 700. I was looking at numbers. <laughs> I was looking for something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm burnt out. I read too many comics. You start to everything blends, but uh, I was looking at the action comics is what I was looking at and everything. Gotcha. Trying to find that thing to show you. But Superman Forever. Jesus, Tyler. Um, you feel like you're getting the status quo back. And it sets up at the beginning that you are getting that back. But then we 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 tumble into this story and the next we don't ever get back to that status quo that we thought we were getting after the electric error for a like you said for a while you know it's like this downward spiraling superman so that kind of as the reader what we are like the people of metropolis of what do we think about our character right now because it hasn't been our character for a while I uh so now did you get a chance so did you did you were, were you able to read sort of the once we get out of the, those alternate realities and Superman's fighting Dominus and Dominus is looking for Kismet did you get to that or no it's okay if not I don't think so okay that's totally fine and then we get those final few issues where again Lex buys the Daily Planet and closes it and again it's uh, literally three issues it's an issue of Man of Tomorrow it's the Save the Planet one shot and then it's the cover of Adventures of Superman where the the globe is being carried away by the helicopter it, you know if if it were up to me I would have had those three issues with the Daily Planet come after Superman Forever and then I would have gotten into this alternate reality business because again Superman Forever then we have these alternate realities and they're fun but they are divorced from the ongoing narrative we've been following right um and then again it's about a month where Superman is back in the normal reality but he's still contending with Dominus and then it's just the three issues with the Daily Planet stuff and then uh from there we get right into 1 million right which is its own thing and then after that there's a four issue fill in arc by Ron Mars uh, dealing with Candor, which I, I don't plan to cover on the podcast. And then after that, we get into the king of the world business. So again, it's, my point is there are these decent sized stretches, right? Where we're kind of away from, from the regular, uh, you know, the, the regular dealings. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how well that necessarily works, especially at a time where you're kind of craving, you know, being back in the normal Superman mode. But now, so are, do you remember Dominus at all? Do you have any any thoughts on him as a, as an adversary? I just a little bit I did read because he did show up. I don't know. It just feels like one of those where they're trying to make something powerful for him to fight, but it doesn't. I don't know. It, it never left that imprint on me. It's kind of like you know, Rogelzar. It you you tried <laughs> to do something. And make it important, but it just never really felt like it stuck with me. Oh, that's an interesting uh, analogy. Rokels <laughs> are, you know, it's funny, I guess. Oh, I hate that character. I, I just, I, I, I think it was just a complete waste, but that's uh, another conversation. So, no, I, I agree. I, I guess when I think of Dominus, I really do think of his role in the King of the World storyline. And I think that what he does there, which we'll talk about, but in, in sort of corrupting and manipulating Superman into assuming the position that he does as this, uh, you know, ruler of the world. I think that was a far more nefarious, uh, you know, plot against our hero and more interesting, you know, here, I think the, I mean, ultimately, right. It's a device to allow our creative teams to tell stories essentially, you know, from a different era. 
And I'm sure that was probably creatively fulfilling. And though it didn't have that meaning for me at the time, for for readers, right, who had grown up with with those earlier stories, I'm sure it was it was probably pretty cool to to see that. I would imagine if you know, I would be curious to hear from people on that front. Uh, but you know, ultimately, I think Dominus really here was more of a means to an end. What I did think was clever was that I feel like it would have been more superficial if he did all of this just to get Superman, right? But the idea was that no, his ultimate objective is kismet. But he knows that they have this connection. So if he goes after Superman, it'll draw draw out Kismet. So I liked that. And then what this sort of all boils down to is Kismet is wounded in their battle and she goes into hiding. She's actually hiding in Mr. Odette's basement uh, for, for a couple of issues in this like energy cocoon. Uh, but the ultimate resolution to this is Wave Rider of the Linear Men you know, gets involved. So I'm always happy to see to see that group. And so they, you know, Wave Rider knows that some connection in the past needs to be forged between Superman and Kismet, right? Because she t- has really taken a special interest in him and has revealed herself to him and to Jonathan Kent, where typically that would not be the case. So well, the way Kismet is ultimately saved is that Wave Rider takes her energy, her essence, to, uh, you know, 1970s Smallville, where young Clark and Pete, I think it's Lana or another girl and a girl named Sharon are playing on this playground and Sharon slips and falls. And as Wave Rider says, like she would have died, but um, he imbues her with the essence of kismet and then places Clark while time is frozen to catch her. So that act of saving her, right, forges that connection between them. Uh, I mean, it was unclear to me, and I'd be curious again to hear from people, it was unclear if in Clark's memory, like there was this little girl who died or if she was always saved, but now we just got to see how that happened. I mean, probably overthinking it here. Uh, do you remember the character Strange Visitor, the young woman who had the yes. electric powers? That's her. So we're going to- Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that in our final electric to one million and that episode. was, And that was, you know, part of that whole, it feels like something else character. Because even the cover with her on it is a- play on the first cover that showed the full electric, you know, Superman. And now that you're talking about Dominus, like, yeah, I, I, I remember cause I, I kind of, when you're doing these, these episodes like this, I try to keep my reading about where you're at. So like when I know that like, when you're about to drop an episode or you're talking about it, I'll uh, revisit certain books to kind of freshen up. So I flipped through real quick. It's like, you're talking about Dominus later. I will get back to you <laughs> about my thoughts on him. Um, when I see what you're talking about, him playing more into the kind of that voice and pushing Superman. Cause I think maybe that's where, cause I was just thinking about what I just read, you know, here on Dominus. But now that you mentioned that I do have a vague remembrance of him there because i i read some of these as a kid but once again it was like hit and miss what you could find like you know you're at the doctor's office they'd have some comic books i remember being just at the the navy exchange had some sitting around like for when you're getting your hair cut and stuff so i remember little bits here and there so i'm curious what that's going to be like I think, you know, with, with Dominus in particular, I suppose I've always had somewhat of a soft spot just 
I guess just from my age and especially the King of the World storyline, which I am quite excited to revisit. I have not done my reread for that yet uh, for that episode that people will hear in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I remember that story fondly, but I'll save it for that episode. But so I guess I have some affection for Dominus. I, as far as cosmic baddies, I, it's not typically what I gravitate towards. I'm also uh, I don't know where I land on the design with the invisible arms. It's like <laughs> Hands, yeah. which part of me part of me says this is ridiculous but then there's a part of me that's like oh there's it's like kind of scary right like you don't know <laughs> you don't see his arms so it's like those hands could come from anywhere i don't know he'd elbow you without being without you knowing because you're just like what <sighs> yeah i i think that you know it, looking at this story in a vacuum and dominus's role in this story in a vacuum i don't know how i don't know how effective it is but when you then look at it in connection with the King of the World storyline. This is pretty essential setup because otherwise, when you get to the King of the World, had it not been for this, it would be like, well, what's this guy's deal? Why is he coming after Superman? So I, I think it it's it's works more, I suppose, as setup. And then from there, we we okay. launch into again the the selling of the Daily Planet and and all of that. Uh, you know, it, it very much called to mind uh, the end of the season one of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, where Lex buys the Daily Planet. And again, this continues until Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly take over the Superman books and the Daily Planet is restored. And we find out about the secret deal that Lois made with Lex to kill any story that he chooses. And, you know, that'll play out over years to come. So, uh, again, this is a thread that kind of continues for quite some time. I have to say... I meant to say it, mention this before when we were talking Superman Forever, aka Superman Seven Hundred. But uh, when I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> no, man, I, I knew the issue we were talking about. It's all good. But when Superman rescues Lena from Hyper Sector, where Bizarro has taken her, you know, there's this very interesting sort of face-off between uh, Superman and Lex, where Lex essentially has to plead with Superman to give him baby Lena. And it was just interesting because especially when we get into the Loeb Kelly era, there are a number of moments where there's kind of this face off between Superman and Lex over Lena, right? At at the end of the Y2K storyline where Lex sacrifices Lena for the Brainiac 13 technology and they have this very tense showdown. And then at the end of our worlds at war where Superman has gotten the restored baby Lena Luthor and hands her to Lex and says, if I remember correctly, like we're small men in a large universe, Lex, like you've gotten a second chance, like don't blow it, something like that. Uh, so again, it's just like this idea of the face off between the two of them over this baby is interesting. And my question is, like when you think about Lex in this role as new father, a lot of it is framed in terms of, you know, she's his legacy and she, you know, and, and she, you know, destined for greatness and all of that. How much does he love her though? Do you think like what, what read do you get on him uh, as a father? Like does, is it really all just about power and legacy and lineage or is there the sense, do you get the sense of no, he there's again, more redeeming value or some genuine love? Like what, what do you sense in this? You know, I think about it, like, you know, we're coming at it from a, from a Lex who poses as his own son and all that, you know, into this. And he has this daughter and the term love is it i don't think it's the same kind of love that you and i share for our children i think it's a love almost like i don't look at my son and see myself i don't see oh there's my greatness continuing on i look at my son and like there's my like 
a part of me is in him, but he is his own person. And I think with Lex, he looks at his child like this is a way, another way of me living. This is still me. And he, you know, he sees the the child as he loves it because it's it's he loves it because it's him, not because it's the child itself. So it's not Lena I love, it's it's part of me living on that I love. Um and once again, what does it serve in his grand purpose? He loves it as a chess piece in his purpose and his plan um, from a selfish point more than a an, a point of I, I love my child, if that makes sense. It does. And I, and I, I think, look, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the different iterations of Lex, but I think ultimately if in any – regardless of which era and – and you know whether or not he has a past with Clark or anything like that, I think it's this inability to love, like inability to truly love. Not that he can't feel any sort of affection, right? I think he does. And I and even we always go back to Smallville, but it's like, you know, even there, it's like, no, there's I think he, you know, genuinely wants to be Clark's friend, right? But there's there's a certain wall that's built in, whether due in part to nature, nurture, you know, there's always that mix, but I think he just can't love ultimately. Love, I think two biggest components about love in any form is trust and honesty and selflessness. And those are, you know, you have to trust the person, even in a friendship, there's an honest about yourself and a trust that you have to build to, to have, you know, a connection and a selflessness to, you know, to really love somebody. And I don't think those are the two qualities that, I don't th- that Lex himself cannot pos- does not possess and cannot have. He he can't be his true self with someone. He can't open up and share his dark secrets, share his who he really is. He's a very untrusting person. He 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 lies. He manipulates because he doesn't even know how to just be genuine unto himself. And everything is self serving to him. It has to have purpose of how it helps him. And, you know, we see even played out when he helps somebody, there's always kind of a little angle for him in there too. Um, so that that's kind of my read on Lex. I, no, I, I agree. I agree. So we just passed the two hour mark here. Uh, you know, and this, we've essentially covered, you know, what, uh, what I aimed to with this episode. And like I said, this was the roughest stretch so far, but definitely some redemption once we got to Superman forever, even though, again, like we said, I think there's still some issues in terms of the, the flow, uh, in terms of in immediately launching into these alternate realities. But, uh, overall I, I did find them enjoyable. That first part was tough. And, you know, we have now talked about the entirety of the electric Superman saga. And again, a couple episodes ago, we even talked about how it played out in, uh, in Grant Morrison's JLA. It was really interesting to revisit. And uh, again, I think certainly the first part, I think in, in, in it's kind of summing up the electric piece of all of this, I think that initial setup and that initial transformation into the electrical being and the new look and trying to figure it all out, I think that was the most solid part. I think it got tedious the more we were just trying to explain what he was doing with the powers. And I think they really lost their way when we got into the split. But look, they got him back. They got him into the classic costume and the classic powers. Next week, again, we're talking about DC 1 million, a Grant Morrison-led event. Uh, I've actually already recorded that episode and I obviously did that reading. So I can say it, it held up well overall and it was, a, it was fun to revisit and fun to talk about. 
And then part seven in two weeks is going to be uh, King of the World, the last big storyline uh, by the Dan Jurgens led creative teams before Loeb and Kelly uh, take over. So, uh, you know, a, a still, a, still a lot to come, but, uh, you know, this remains, whether we're talking the best of it or the worst, of it, it still remains a worthwhile endeavor. And it, it was a lot of fun. And I thank you very much for, for coming along for this. Oh, no, it, it was fun. You know, Electric Superman is definitely, for any Superman fan, it's a fun, interesting topic of where we look at it and how we present the the change. And like I said, it's it's so funny because it, it looks cool, but at the same time, I, it's, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I think he looks cool and it's an interesting error, but at the same time, I, I feel detached. Like, I feel like it's... I feel like Electric Superman in one way is like almost like an, a more evolved eradicator. Like, like I said, I, I go back to feeling like he, he ties more into like this alternate type Superman than actually being the true Superman. Um, Look, if the entirety of the Electric Superman saga, including Red and Blue, had been 12 issues, I think we would probably remember it very differently. As it is... I think it's one of those things that's not as bad as you might remember and definitely not as bad as others have painted it to be. However, it it never fully reaches the heights, I think, of some of these other triangle era stories that we've talked about. And that's kind of ultimately oh. where I land. It's like not as not as bad as you think it is, not as good as it could be or as you would want it to be. Yeah. I mean, it happened. It's over. Um, you know, and let me ask you this kind of closing out. Would you want to see some sort of animated film adaptation adaptation of the electrical error? Yeah, I think if you did kind of like a two-part Millennium Giants, no, I'm just kidding. I would not want that. No, but no. but uh yeah, no, that's the thing. It's crazy to me. I know, you know, you mentioned uh, and we'll talk about this on the podcast in the future, you know, John Kent currently in the comics, Superman's son getting the electric powers. And of course, we had the strange visitor character with the other powers, but otherwise, and especially when you're talking other media adaptations to my knowledge. I mean, I can't think of any instance where we've had electric Superman adapted. Right. And I feel no, like, we, you know, it's the closest, worth it. the, the closest we kind of get back to kind of is in Superwoman rebirth where Lois Lane is basically a version of Superman blue and she's regular powered. And then Lana Lang is more energy power based and she's super woman red, basically. Um, but it's not like electrical, but it's still kind of this red and blue, and she's more energy-based powers um, as far as in comics go when this comes up again. But as far as outside that, there's never been. Um, the only thing that ever really acknowledges them is the 2013 Superman 7. Superman, sorry. <laughs> my, my throat's getting dry, and I ran out of drink. Um, the, super, the Zack Snyder's you know, Superman's 75th anniversary cartoon. There's the one quick scene of them, the electrics red and blue back to back and they take off, you know, that acknowledges that that even happened. You know, it's always kind of been this, I feel like a lot of times it's this thing in Superman's history that we kind of try to forget happened when we talk about um, just the legacy of the character period, like the documentary, the look, the up, look in up in the sky. The sky yeah, it, it skips over the electric stuff completely. So I, I, th I just think that it's something that hasn't really got acknowledged in anything. 
And I think there could be a really good story out there somewhere, especially now in the comics um, where you have Kal-El's being attacked. If there was an earth in the multiverse where he still was electrical Superman, I think that could be very interesting to see where you have like multiple Superman and one of the Clarks still is electric. Um, and I mean, if, if Superman and Lois, the show wasn't as good as it was, and that was more in the vein of a regular CW show, I think having an episode with an alternate earth Clark showing up and he's electric powered could have been interesting. Um, especially when we were doing the crisis event, just to kind of give a kind of wink and nod to it and something, but well, no, that's interesting. I feel like, yeah, at a minimum, it should be acknowledged, even if it's not a full on adaptation. So yeah, I would, I would be on board with that. Look, it is again, like you said, it happened right for better or worse. It's part of the character's history. I, I guess you could look at it as, you know, a year in 85 years, isn't that much, but it's still a year. And so I do think it should at a minimum be acknowledged. I, I definitely think an animated adaptation would be the best vehicle for it. Had it's funny, had Superman, the animated series or justice league or unlimited, essentially the Bruce Tim animated universe had, had that world been more interested in adapting very recent stories, that would have been, I think a perfect place for it, but they really were doing their own thing. And I appreciate that. So that's, that's fine. But even if it's just a, a, an animated adaptation, I think that could be cool. And I think if it sort of incorporated kind of our feedback, right, looking at places where this could be done maybe a little in a little bit more of an interesting or meaningful way. Now, at the same time, we say that as people who kind of have an attachment to it from reading it as a kid. Like, I don't know in the grand scheme of things if, if this – I don't know how much interest there would be. I, I don't know. But I, I would I like to see it. In an animated, if you were, if there was Superman, the animated series right now going on, I think an episode where Superman gets put on another earth and that episode on that other earth, Superman is electric powered. And, you know, he has a conversation with himself and he says, yeah, you know, something happened. Uh, my battle with this person changed my DNA and this is who I am now. And they kind of, you know, work together and then Superman gets sent home. I think that's the perfect way of doing something with electric, acknowledging it without having to take your main protagonist character and turning them into electric Superman or doing a whole electric Superman thing, but just having one episode where Clark goes to a different earth and that earth Superman is electric Superman would be an awesome, just kind of seeing that come to life. So I'm on board. All right. Krypton Report podcast available on all major podcast platforms available on YouTube. You're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, anywhere else you want to direct people. That's pretty much it. Um, we've had a recent, I had, it's funny cause you made the joke before how like I put out some stuff sometimes and it seems like I'm always putting stuff out. I had a, a, several people who wanted to record together and it all just kind of hit at the end of the month. So we had a very uh, profitable week there for, for a few days and I tried to space it out, but I'm like, man, I wanted to get some things out because they tied to other promotions. Uh, it's just funny how sometimes I have, Oh, I got a lot recorded. And sometimes I'm like, I got nothing. So. <laughs> well, I hope people will, will check out your show and I thank you so much for coming on board and having this two hour plus conversation with me. I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah. We had to have two hours, one for red, one for blue. 
Perfect. There you go. Uh, audience, as always, I really appreciate you tuning in truly. So this was part five. Next week, part six, DC 1 million with a renowned Superman podcaster, Michael Bailey. And then part seven, the week after that, our big finale here, episode 99, uh, we'll be talking about the king of the world and the end of the Dan Jurgen stretch of the triangle era. And we'll be joined by a favorite of ours around here, Scott Honig. And then after that, it's episode 100. So keep tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. As always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.